0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Dental Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Arias. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please guys, if you can, don't forget, if you like what you're listening to, if you've been a supporter for a long time, go ahead and leave a review on iTunes. Um, shout out to Christiana Oh, she wrote a dental startup must very useful resources and information especially when doing a dental startup Michael always asks the right questions to guests and keeps it engaging thank you so much Christiana I truly appreciate your review so guys if you can please leave a review on iTunes press pause right now and then um, go drop a review of five stars preferably but whatever you want right uh, if you can leave a review let me know how I'm doing that way it helps the podcast out it helps me out a lot too it helps me out a lot so Guys, in this episode, I am speaking with Irene Yenku.
1: So before I opened, I like hit the pavement. You know, it's during COVID. So everyone's kind of depressed and they just want a little bit of connection with another human. So I use social media to reach out to their accounts. And some of these businesses are pretty small, like they only have five or six hundred followers at most. So they're looking for two things. They're looking for a connection. They're looking for someone that can help them grow. And they're looking for partnerships. So I just started walking around buying gift certificates from all of the places near me. The coffee place across the street, I use gift certificates there to give to my patients. Same thing with the restaurant. There's a Greek restaurant across the street. I buy gift certificates for any referrals and new patients, like families that are sent over. And I I got to know all of those business owners and they got to know me. The chiropractor and I refer to one another. I send to her for TMD work and she sends back to me for, for night guards and stuff. So it's interesting when you when you start to learn and become friends with the business owners and then the business owners become your patients and then they start talking about you to their patrons.
0: Wonderful person, fantastic. You probably heard of her. You probably follow her on social media. This is a great episode. Uh, She lets us know about her past for a bit. She grew up in Romania, uh, played tennis for FSU, was about to get into law, but ended up changing trajectories or paths, obviously. And she has worked in many practices before, officially opening up her own practice. And she lets us know what were some great things she took away from the practices she worked at and what were some things she absolutely didn't like. And many of you may know her, like I said, or many of you may follow her on Instagram or you probably bought one of her products or you probably have heard her speak. She's a KOL in this industry and she's a hygienist who owns a successful practice in Canada. So, guys, she's amazing, amazing person. Seriously, she gives us fantastic advice on making decisions and asking questions about ourselves. She talks about when working in a new practice, it's easy to look at the negative. So we really have to strive to look at the positive. She's also currently attracting around 80 new patients a month, and she lets us know how she attracted new patients before opening her doors just from a weekly newsletter. It's very, very interesting. She tells us what she is doing for her patients after she has acquired them, and she also lets us know the books every practice owner needs to be reading or should be reading, and valuable advice on setting goals and expectations. One thing I also like is she talks to us about, or she lets us know, how to give constructive criticism and positive feedback. A lot of us kind of do what she terms uh, the sandwich approach, right? Positive, then make the negative thing the main thing you approach them for, and then end it with the positive feedback again. But you'll see how that can probably, or that most likely will backfire, right? And she gives you a breakdown of that as well. So wonderful episode, wonderful guest. Guys, without further delay, here is Irene Yanku. Irene, how's it going?
1: I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I don't know. Thank you so much
0: for being on and everything. I know sometimes when uh, we're scrolling through Instagram, I'm like, there goes Irene? What what is she doing? (laughs) There she is. (laughs) Where'd
1: she go? There she is. She's gone. Okay, she's back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but how many, if you don't mind me asking, how many followers do you have on Instagram?
1: Uh, I think like 25,000, 26,000 actually. 26,000 on my one account. Um, and then I have another account that has 27 and then the podcast and, and, um, my office. So I don't know, all combined, we're probably in the 70,000 ish.
0: Man. Um, How long have you been the one that you have? Like, I I think the one I, I, I follow.
1: Yeah. Life Irene. Yeah. I started going at it kind of in 2018 ish. I started off doing like KOL speaking stuff and traveling. And I think I had like 300 followers in 2018 and by 2019 i had hit 10k and then the following year 20k and now this last uh, last little bit of the last couple of years we're at 26 or 27k it's a lot harder to grow on instagram now than it was i think back then just like lots of algorithm changes and more people are using it to view stuff and less to like follow people i think mm. like you see some of your some of my reels have like 2.3 million views a million views half a million views. And I'm like, I don't have those followers. Like, where are they? And why are they leaving? <laughs> and I think it's because we just go to Reels and we're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and mindlessly looking at stuff. I mean, as TikTok once was. But yeah, I think that's, that's where we are.
0: Are you on TikTok too or now?
1: I am. I only have like 6,000 followers on TikTok. And I think that they're just, I think they're just like people that follow me on Instagram that are also on TikTok. So yeah. I post pretty much the same content, just kind of like zhuzh a little. Um, but I'm not being in TikTok. You know why? There's like a huge difference between the content that does well on TikTok and the content that does well on Instagram. And I'm all about the like, if I'm going to post a case, I'm going to post the bloody gory stuff. That's I know that's going to do well on Instagram. On TikTok, that stuff doesn't do well unless you're doing like a green screen and you're like, and in this video, I'm demonstrating the removal of calculus on the distal of a molar because most of the people are civilians that are on there or really <laughs> the young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not dental peeps. So, yeah. So I think my just my demographic and I feel like I'm too old for TikTok. I'm 36. I'm like, I'm a grandmother. I could be a grandmother to some not even. TikTok. Oh, come on. Le- like legit. Legit, there's, like, 11-year-olds. Yeah. I have kids, seven, eight-year-old kids that come to my office to see me, and they want to film a TikTok with me. And I'm like, really? Like, what do I I don't do the dancing. I'm not part of the, like, I'll lip sync to something short and sweet, but I can't, like, do the dancing. Do you do the dancing?
0: I don't even have a TikTok. See, gonna, you're winning yeah. at life. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right. Like you're, what What you consider like, oh, we only have 6,000 followers. I don't even think I have that on anything like well, besides the podcast. But other than that, I mean, it's right. uh, on our social media platforms. Yeah, we're not really, I leave that. I don't know. I've never been a part of like. The you know, dental
1: that, marketer that talks about marketing doesn't have social yeah. media. i are just going to leave that right there.
0: Yeah. Well, we have Instagram, Facebook groups, all that stuff, but mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. It's like what you do, you know what I mean? You try and hone in on specific things.
1: Yeah, I, I got my, my niche, I
0: yeah, think, yeah. my
1: spot, my peeps.
0: I like that. So before we get into your business and everything like that, tell us a little bit about your past, your present. How did you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, great question. My name is Elle Woods, and this is Bruiser Woods. We're both Gemini vegetarians. No, is that did that go over your head?
0: Way over my TikTok. head, no. You're
1: not on TikTok. So that's a TikTok trend right now and an Instagram trend. Where you introduce yourself as the character from Legally Blonde. No,
0: I don't even think I've seen that movie. Oh
1: my God. Someone, please slide into his messages or wherever his send him a carrier pigeon with the link to that so he can, I'll send it to you. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, I am a Canadian based uh, dental hygienist. I grew up in Romania. So I'm an immigrant to this beautiful cold country. I started elementary school here, high school here, and then I moved to Florida for for college. I took political science at Florida State and I played tennis for FSU. So I had a scholarship. Completely unrelated field. Um, Decided that I didn't want to go into law. Long story, there was a boy involved whom is no longer part of the equation. Uh, Although I stayed in dentistry and... um, kind of just did the grind for about seven years and realized at one point I started in pedo and then I started in perio, then I went to pedo, then I did ortho. I worked in like a bougie cosmetic practice, kind of like the Toronto version of Dr. Appa. You know, I dabbled in a lot of different things over seven years. I, I thought that I was just like an indecisive person. So I'd work in an office for a year or two. And then I'd be like, okay, like what else? And moved somewhere else. And my mom was just like, can't you just work in one place? Like, what's with you people these days? Like just leaving up and leaving. And, you know, I I got bored. Like I would, you know, do the same thing over and over and over again. And you get good at it and you're like, there's got to be something else. And I and I always thought of it as like, I'm a bad employee. Like Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm a bad person and like, I just don't fit here. So I'm going to go somewhere else. But I realized that bad employees often make really good business owners. And eventually, uh, you know, I started speaking and doing the KOL kind of on the podium thing at conferences. And and then I realized one day I wanted to open up my own practice. And uh, fun fact, I'm a hygienist in Canada, in my province of Ontario, and in many states in the United States, um, hygienists can open up their own practices. And that but that business model might look like a variety of different things. But for me, it looks like a standalone brick and mortar dental practice that is owned by a hygienist, but operated just like a dental office. So most people don't know who signs the check at the end of the day. And while I'm up here in my other my other office, you know, peeps are downstairs doing doing dentistry. So, um, so that kind of is the cliff notes. The Americans yeah. say cliff notes, the Canadians say Cole's notes. We have like a different human that does our notes here.
0: Uh uh-huh. yeah, Cliff and Cole. I didn't know that. Cliff, wow. Yeah.
1: Okay. There so, we go. Tomato tomato. tomato yeah.
0: Tomato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rewind That's, a little bit. Yeah. You grew up in, what? at what age did you come to, or did you get to Canada?
1: I was in grade, okay, so this is the tough part. In Romania, there's no kindergarten. So I mm-hmm. was technically in kindergarten in Canada, but in grade one in Romania. So I skipped two grades in elementary school when I moved here. So I was technically six, and mm-hmm. then I skipped grade one, and I skipped grade two. I was a little wee human. Yeah, okay, and
0: then from that point on... You went to you said FSU. You played never ever once in your life where you like I'm gonna go pro in tennis.
1: I had two knee surgeries, oh. and that was the goal. That was the plan. That was kind of why I did political science because it's easier to it's easier to read books and stuff when you're on the road. I mean, there's a lot of travel involved in in playing college, especially Division One. So I took an easy route. I took the like let's do something theoretical, and and um I did want to go pro and. That just wasn't in the cards for me, unfortunately.
0: Because the knee surgeries are...
1: Yeah, that and, like, I wasn't good enough. Like, I was really good and in comparison to most people, but there comes a point where there are two types of tennis players. They're, like, the grinders, we call them, the one that are just, like, playing for fees, like, to get their travel paid for and their hotels paid for, and maybe Mm. they make a little, like, money in the back of their pocket. And they never really break 100, top worlds. So those are the grinders. The ones that are, you know, they're the best tennis player in their town or in their city. um, But they're not the best tennis player in the world. And I was probably going to be one of those grinders. So you're on a plane every week, three times a week, to just get to your next tournament, to pay for your next tournament. And I didn't want that, (laughs) even after recovery. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's not in the cards.
0: And then so from that point, what was kind of you were leaning more towards was law?
1: Yeah, I was going to be a lawyer, actually. And my my aunt and uncle are both lawyers in Chicago. And the summer that I came home from school, wrote the LSATs, got into law school. um, And my aunt and uncle are like, why don't you come and hang out for the summer with us? And then, you know, decide, you know, what type of law you might like. My aunt is a she's a corporate litigator, mostly in mergers and acquisitions. And my uh, uncle did divorce law or like family law and focused on divorce. (laughs) So I'd like go to work with them and hate their lives. I was like, what do you mean you're like battling to keep a child away from their mother and vice versa? (laughs) And like, I, it, it wasn't quite like what you see on television, but glimpses of it were just as bad. And then my aunt worked on like pulling apart small businesses and big businesses and selling them off. And talking about how to fire people and how to let them go and what severances they can negotiate. I'm like, this might sound super exciting to somebody, but for me as a human, that just didn't sound very sexy. Yeah. So I came home from Chicago and my mom's like, that's so great. Like, what What do you want to do? And I'm like, not law. (laughs) She's like, what? You're supposed to start in September. I'm like, not going. So I took a year, less than a year. I took uh, September to January. Uh, in January, I decided to, to start dental hygiene. I was dating a guy at the time who, uh, was torn between medicine and dentistry and, uh, got into both and then decided to choose dentistry for more of like the lifestyle aspect of it. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I'd have to do different prerequisites for, for sciences. I had more of like an arts, arts degree. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was stuck in dental hygiene after. And by stuck, I mean, I chose to stay. But
0: So when the practices that you worked at, um, mm-hmm. what were some things like I guess that you took away where you're like, oh, when I open up my own place, if I ever do, what are some things you decided to take away that you have now? What are some things where you're like, I never ever want to run it like that? Like you saw? Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and that's an interesting thing because I wrote an article in a, that was published in a dental magazine exactly with this of like the things that I took away from each office that I worked in, the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, So, for example, in my perio office, my first my first job, his name is Dr. Marvin Budd. He's an interesting dude, like older gentleman, very stuck in his ways, wrapped his instruments in towels. Everything had to be in a certain place. He had photos of his setups. So every instrument was in this the same slot every time and every towel. Um, so I did that when I opened my own office. Every setup of every procedure has its own photo that's taken and it's put in our, in our binder, in our stereo that's laminated. So if at any time we get a new person or a temp that's in and they're like, oh, what does doc need for, I don't know, a crown prep, go to the crown prep section and there's a photo of what needs to be on that tray setup. What do, what do a hygienist need for an SRP with local? There's a laminated sheet with what that setup looks like. So uh, there was an interesting line that he used to say when you would ask a question. And he would say, is that a one-person question or a two-person question? So that's like me going to you, Mike, and saying, hey, Mike, do you know where the scissors are? And you're just like, yeah, top drawer. Like, that's more of a one-person question where it's like, you, you can open five drawers and figure out where the scissors are eventually. Like, we know they're not in the freezer. We know they're probably not in the bathroom under the sink or behind the toilet. Like, Use your knowledge and insight and like that's more of a one person question. So I now do one person questions and two person questions in my office where people have to think about it before they ask someone else like is there a resource that's been set up for you to already have this asked, like in our binders or in our manuals. So Dr. Bud used to do that all the time. Ask something silly and he'd be like one person question or two person. I'm like yeah probably a one person question. I'd like mutter to myself and he used to do this thing where he would take us to the same Restaurant and he had the same booth set up once a month for a team lunch, and we would talk about you know five things. Each person had to bring five things to the table that they wanted to talk about at this team meeting. And he would sit in the same Elvis booth, and we all basically ordered the same thing. He put his credit card down at the same time, and back for our two p.m. patient. It was like clockwork. So he really taught me that systemization is important when running a practice.
0: Yeah, that is yeah. systemization. Made me also realize right now, holy crap, I'm a one person question do it all the time. Like I ask my wife all the time, like, Hey, where's this at? She's, she's like, open your eyes. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? And, oh, it's been there the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: What were some things, I guess, from that practice or other practices where you, were you absolutely, I mean, it almost even caused you to say like, I don't even want to be here anymore.
1: Well, I mean, I think when, when you work in a practice, the easy thing to do is to look at the negatives like oh I don't get new instruments or I don't get this or I don't get that or like this person does this and it irritates me but we forget to look at the good and it's one of those like grass is always greener things so you know you end up leaving and you go somewhere else and perhaps that problem is solved where you get new instruments but there's something else that's broken so it's like is it possible to have everything perfect all at the same time and like Mark Costas is a good friend of mine and he's been on my podcast a few times I've been on his and you no, know, he helped me through the startup. If anyone um, is in a startup business or looking to start up their practice or just like, you know, work on keeping your overheads and stuff down. Like he's, he's a good guy to listen to. But he told me once, he's like, you can't fix everyone's problems all the time. You can try your best. You can make, put in as many checklists, as many systems in place, but you can't teach people to do these things if it's not programmed in their mind to have an ownership mindset. So in many of the practices that I worked in, I had that ownership mindset. I was invested 100% in my patient's treatment. And some might say, quote unquote, just a hygienist. I had so many people say that, like, you're just a hygienist. And it's like like the worst word you can ever tell someone, regardless of what their position is, is because you're not just something like you could be the best at that. But, you know, you can't fix everything. And I, for all of the negatives, there were always like five other positives. And I really tried to focus on the positives. Like, sure. He perhaps wouldn't bias instruments as much as we wanted. And some of them that were sharpened were sharpened the wrong way. So you pivot, you figure out a way to get around it or to compromise or to make do, but there were way more positives that outweighed the negatives. It's just a matter of your perspective and how you want to focus on it.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. Man, dude, you know what it thought about? Like you're pretty you're pretty, pretty strong, like to to continue through that you know what I mean as far as like people always telling you oh you're just a hygienist you're just I don't know I I think about it and I would kind of be like yeah you know what you're right I should stay in my lane you know I'm sorry about that you know what's fun in that yeah but for for you though like you I guess thrive in that I like
1: totally thrive in that it was an interesting interesting thing that happened do you know the conference DIA Yes. And I'll So I spoke at DIA this past year, and my friend is an oral surgeon. His name is Jason. On Instagram, he goes by Bloody Tooth Guy. We were hanging out and we were walking down this aisle, and this like sales rep recognized me and recognized him. And immediately went straight to Jason and was like, you know, this product and this product. And then he looks at me and he hands me a chapstick. Like one of those like branded chapstick. <laughs> And like, they're having an in-depth conversation about whatever surgical procedure. And then he looks at me and he goes, do you know anything about chlorohexidine? And I was just like, I looked at Jason. And Jason looked at me and I was like, do I drop? Like, do I do I throw down with this guy right now? <laughs> I'm like, do I do it? Cause yeah. To him, yeah. my value was a chapstick. Not uh-huh. like what's in my mind. So I was like, yeah, actually, you know, I don't like chlorhexidine in long-term use because I've read a lot of research that tells me that it really interferes with odontoblast formation. And there does seem to be this issue with bacterial regrowth. And da-da-da. and the poor guy was just like, would you like a hand sanitizer too? And like, I was like, you can keep your eyes. You can also keep your chapstick because I'm pretty sure this is made with palm oil and I'm not interested. Uh- and, and then like we turned around and walked away. I mean, it happens all the time. And hopefully the louder people are in whatever industry. Because you, you know, an oral surgeon might say to a dentist, Oh, you're just a dentist. Yeah. Or someone that's specialized. I mean, and that's unfair. That's unkind. And that's super unprofessional.
0: Yeah. No. If I was with you, I would have been like, um, give me the chapstick. You want to talk to Irene? Take a little <laughs> bit of the hand sanitizer too. Can I have two, please? But no, you're right. Can and I think it
1: went for my mom.
0: went <laughs> for my mom, one for everybody. Yeah. I think that's um kind of is a really good point as well. I mean, I feel like you changed. I I mean, there is some people here in the States, especially in California here, where a a couple of hygienists do have their own practice. They run it, right? How do you feel about that in the sense of uh, when people come up to you who are not a dentist, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're just wanting to do exactly what you do. I'm sure you get that a lot. They're a
1: hygienist and they want to open a practice. Yeah.
0: Let's say a hygienist.
1: Sure. I mean, I get that every day. 10,000 times a day on my Instagram and I consult on that. So I convert followers to clients because they want to open a practice. That's fine. I've got 10 things that you have to do before you can do it. And I work through it with them and, you know, they pay a consulting fee because it took me years to figure this out. So I'm Mm. not just going to like, I talk about it on the podcast, our podcast a lot, but, um, you know, there's systems that you need to put into place before you can just like, you know, open a million dollar practice as a Hygienist. Yeah. So I'm all for it. I mean, I think the more we do, the better. And also it increases jobs. Like, I don't know why dentists are all hung up on it. They're like, oh, well, you know, they're going to take our patients. There are billions of people in the world. There are more teeth than we can see. And there is enough space for all of us. There's literally a dental office right across the street from me that opened up after I opened up. And I give zero Fs that they are providing. What are they doing? I'm looking at their sign. Implants, braces, Invisalign, veneers, removing wisdom teeth, dentures, whitening, crown and bridges, whatever, snoring appliances. They have that like, <laughs> listed on their window. One of those like generic photos of like this old dude and his dentures holding an apple. That is not my demographic. Those people that will go to that practice are completely different people. that are going to come to my office that has no branding, that is just clean white lines and windows. Like there's no people holding an apple. They can have their people and we'll have our people. So I'm cool with that, and I've got two docs that come and work in my practice. I have a prosthodontist and a general dentist, and once a month, I have an oral surgeon that comes in that does implant placement and removal of wisdom teeth and bone grafting and direct and indirect sinus lifts. Like, like, I'm giving those three people work. <laughs> so, and those are your people. Those are the dental people. Those are your people that can't find work anywhere else. So they're gonna come and work for me. So I don't. I don't think that. That we have anything to fear. Yeah. I think we just need to like get off our high horses and realize that there are more humans in the world that need help.
0: Yeah. No, I like Doesn't that a lot. not
1: matter who signs the check. No.
0: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, re- I think I remember when you posted about that in the startup group where like, the office across the street was opening from you. And I was you were so like, I what was, is like, happening?
1: What is happening right here, right now? Like, what do I do? And most people were like, it happens all the time. Like there are dental offices across the street. And sure, like it's a little bit of a low blow. I wouldn't do it to somebody. Like I wouldn't like open up across the street from someone. But who cares? Yeah. But now, I don't care. Now. I mean,
0: yeah, like you're still.
1: So, you're, now we you're make surviving. fun of it. We could not make fun of it. But now we we actually like refer to it because they do this like $99 cleaning So if a patient comes into my office and we prescribe SRP and they need multiple visits, we quote it all out. And they're like, oh, I can't, I can't afford that. And I'm like, okay, we have two options. You can go to the $99 cleaning across the street at Diamond Dental or you can go to the local dental hygiene school and they'll do it there. You'll need multiple visits, but it'll be cheaper. Which do you prefer? And they're like, what's a $99 cleaning? And I'm like, I haven't had one, so I can't tell you, but it's available if you need it. And then they're like, no, it's okay. I'll do the SRP. (laughs) The
0: People across the street, they're like, we get the most referrals from the dental office right across our street. (laughs) They probably
1: love it. But I'm like giving them all of the like ODSP patients and like the disability patients that come in with like government subsidized insurance that like don't want to do or can't afford what we say.
0: Yeah. Just send them over there. That's that's funny. Can we jump into your business a little bit right now? Like the numbers? Okay. Yeah. So... Did you get a loan or no?
1: I did. I got a loan from uh, RBC, um, Royal Bank Dominion Security, I guess it's called, from the Division of Healthcare. (laughs) Um, I saved my own injection of about 200K over the course of two and a half years. So the, the problem is my business model is very different than the business model of a dentist because when you put that plan together, it doesn't show me as the highest grossing provider in the practice because the hygienists can only bill. I mean, we get capped out. I get capped out some days at four grand a day. And that's a good day for hygiene. Mm -hmm. But I do a lot of crazy procedures and stuff. So that's, that's the problem. So I went into this bank with my business plan and I went to, to the first person and she was just like, I don't understand the business model. I'm like, what do you understand? Like, it's a space. The space is going to get rented out. It's going to get it rented out to dentists. It's going to be used for dental hygiene services. It gets rented out to Tooth Life Media, where we do social media videos and stuff. So we, you know, rent out the space to companies to do photo shoots to whatever. Um, and she was just like, I don't understand this business. Like, she just was like, my underwriters are not going to like this. And I'm like, it's your job to describe it to your underwriters to make them like it. And she's like, I don't think that I can do this deal. So I was like, okay, fine. So I took my business plan. To somebody else who luckily was like a young dude who had social media, had LinkedIn, basically just Googled me and was like, "Okay, now I totally get what you're trying to do. So got the got the loan for about 700, put 200 in of my own money. Most of that, most of that, like I think only 90 of it went in out of our out of our pocket and the rest was kind of working capital. So we kept that in and then the pandemic hit. So we opened during the pandemic. We were supposed to open before but we had a lot of delays because of COVID, so like you know the the magical thing that was happening in China that nobody really knew about. the reality is there's such a such a kind of butterfly effect that, you know, the parts that are made for my German chairs, some of those parts come from places in Asia that were hit by COVID before everybody else, so like factories that we ordered from things that were uh, out of stock or that were on back order were because of this like inventory and supply issue. Mm-hmm. so um that's the, the money part of it. Yeah, we got a loan. Okay. Still so paying back.
0: <laughs> no, but seven hundred thousand is your loan pretty much,
1: right? And yeah. Then- I think we used I think we used like almost all of it. And then we yeah. ended up getting kind of like a working line of credit. Yeah, we got a, we had a lot of like uh, interesting things that uh, our office is on the main floor of a condo building and it had never had anything built in it before. It's also structural, which means there are four feet of concrete below our floors and above our floors, which is great for fire safety, but it's terrible for trying to build a dental office in that I didn't want to lift up floors and have mm-hmm. all of the plumbing and stuff on elevated flooring. I wanted it all to be pretty flush, and I wanted to finish the concrete, so I wanted to have like, that industrial look. <laughs> um, it's like 18-foot ceilings, exposed beams and piping, and, and I didn't hire a, a designer, so I... I quit my dental hygiene job six months early and I designed my own space. I did the whole workflow. I know how to use AutoCAD. My dad's an architect. So I I basically did my whole structural design. And then I had, you know, a variety of engineers that did the workflow for lighting. Um, I mean, I planned where it was going to go, but they made it happen. Um, The same thing with like, you know, our lead lining of our walls and permitting and all that stuff. I applied for all that stuff. So we had to spend and we I mean, this was, we split, the, the landlord split a lot of the difference, but we had to spend $200,000 just to core drill where our chairs were going to go and where plumbing was going to be serviced from below. So my compressor room is in the basement. It's not on the same level as my, as my, um, my dental practice. Mm-hmm. So it's in the basement of this condo. I have like a little closet area that they built for me because I hate the sound of a suction. And in an open concept dental office where everything is concrete, oh. It would be this constant all day long. I would lose my mind. And you can't film anything in there with audio, especially using a dental chair. If you've got this like of your compressors (laughs) going all day long. So I was like, I need to bury the sound somewhere. And the best place to bury it is between four feet of concrete. So I had to bring all of my stuff up, which means when you bring stuff up, you need pumps to run pumps, to provide pressure up and there's also a downgrade of my practice so I had to you know plan for that so everything required some drilling Four feet of concrete drilling also required x-rays of the floor to see where the rebar is because Mm -hmm. of the condo so that was probably the most expensive part of the build out just drilling holes
0: man okay that's but you know what super smart for you to have thought of that already like as, as far as like the noise you know what I mean yeah okay well
1: you said this thing where like all of the things that I had taken from other offices that I hated. So in my last practice, I worked in the basement. I was the only dental operatory because I was the newest team member. And what they would do is every time a team member retires or leaves, everyone would shift rooms. And there was like the one room that everyone wanted. And that was Margaret's room. It was in the front of the building. She had the most amount of windows. She had her own door. She like, didn't sweat her butt off in the summer and like die in the, in the winter. Um, So everyone did this like Tetris thing and it was like one person leaves in a 20 operatory office and then the one in the basement is always the one that like the new person gets and I was the new person and I was the new person for four years and I worked in this basement right next to the compressor room and my chair was shitty and my cords were all over the floor. I chipped my front tooth because of my foot got stuck in the delivery system and I fell face first into the floor. And chip my anterior central. So it's like all of these things. So when I was doing my business plan, these were the things that I thought of. What do I want? I want silence. I want windows. I want natural light. I don't want to hear noise. And I don't want any cords touching the floor. So all of my delivery systems are this like continental European style. Because I don't want anything touching the floor. Even my cabinets are not touching the floor. Like everything is elevated off the ground. Man. Dust. So I hated seeing dust. I hated... I hated in my last office, the baseboards would always have that little bit of dust right around the top of them. (laughs) And if you clean them, then you would like, you know, wear off the paint and the paint would chip. So when I was designing my office, I chose to use plastic baseboards that are glued to the wall instead of wood. So it's so easy to wipe off plastic and the paint is never going to chip because the plastic baseboards are all plastic. So I put a lot of thought into every single little thing.
0: You did, like for sure, for sure you did. That's This is amazing. So then how many ops do you have?
1: Four. Four. One is the surgical operatory.
0: Okay. And then total right now, how many employees do you currently have?
1: Just the dental office. We're at 15, 14. Mm -hmm. And then I've got, I mean, I've got other businesses, but in total at the dental office, we're at like 14.
0: 14? Yeah. And you, what do you say just the dental office that's like, you have other Life
1: studio, the dental practice. Then there's me on social media. I've got a social media team. I have a, a retail brand, Tooth Life, where we make like scrub caps and accessories and tooth, toothy related goodies, um, which is how I saved money for the office. I, I started a, a retail line of like dental accessories and uh, I just started creating products and selling them online that that company kind of went viral on social media. And, I mean, you see a lot of people our, in our industry wearing our little scrub caps with their little teeth logos on them. Uh, so that company has its own team, product developer, manager. We've got, like, factories in China that are producing our products. Uh, we have a wholesaler, distributor, packaging people, pickers, packers.
0: Yeah. How many moves do you have? Four. So it's the Tooth Life Media, the clothing brand or like the four and a half. What's the half?
1: Um, so I write. I do a lot of writing for magazines and blogs and stuff. So like that kind of it's called Tooth Life Tests. That's kind of its own little entity. So that is another kind of side where I work with content creators and editors that help me publish magazines and stuff.
0: Gotcha. So it's the publishing magazines, practice, Tooth Life Media.
1: ToothLife itself and then I mean me, Tooth Life Irene and the podcast and the podcast is monetized, sponsored.
0: Yeah. And all this stuff, man, yeah. good job, man. You're like, really making it. You would think like, okay, once I hit like 2 billion, I'd stop, but you haven't. So I don't no, know. I'm not
1: at 2 billion yet. I'm not even <laughs> close. <laughs> You're like,
0: I'm at 1.7, Michael. Yeah, but
1: no. No. at one point, we did our office in our first, I guess it's only been a year and a half, but in our first year and a half, I've 1,230 new patients. I got 900 new patients in the first 12 months um, just using, like, certain media techniques. And, like, we broke a million bucks in production, which for most offices that are established is good. But I did that with, with two operatories because I started only with two ops because I panicked. Yeah. And then the third op went in. And so I think that we did well.
0: Yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, what were you doing for marketing and advertising?
1: Yeah, so before, and that I have a whole lecture on this. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone wanted to know, like, how do I get 80 new patients a month that is, like, still going strong? I really got to tune into my community. So, like, tried to figure out where are new patients coming from, why. And, of course, COVID is making everyone stay really close to home. People were walking to their dental offices instead of, like, doing it closer to work. People are working from home. Their kids are staying home. So they want to be home. So my office is in a very nice community. It's like a little neighborhood, not far from the beaches um, in Toronto, which is like the only stretch of kind of waterfront that we have. It's in the middle of the beaches and it's in the middle of like between the beaches in Greektown. So there's very young demographic that lives in the neighborhood. They have lots of kids and uh, lots of little businesses, like little pop-up businesses, coffee shops, florists. There's like a... Um, A place that does alterations down the street where they fix like the zippers of your coats and the soles of your shoes and those sort of things. There's like a local pizza spot called Blue Ribbon. There's a restaurant. There's, you know, all of these little businesses, a Greek place that they're business owners too, but they're also humans and they also have teeth. So before I opened, I like hit the pavement, you know, it's during COVID. So everyone's kind of depressed and they just want a little bit of connection with another human. So I use social media to reach out to their accounts. And some of these businesses are pretty small, like they only have five or six hundred followers at most. So they're looking for two things. They're looking for a connection. They're looking for someone that can help them grow. And they're looking for partnerships. So I just started walking around buying gift certificates from all of the places near me. The coffee place across the street, I use gift certificates there to give to my patients. Same thing with the restaurant. There's a Greek restaurant across the street. I buy gift certificates for any referrals and new patients, like families that are sent over. And I, I got to know all of those business owners and they got to know me. The chiropractor and I refer to one another. I send to her for TMD work and she sends back to me for, for night guards and stuff. So it's interesting when you, when you start to learn and become friends with the business owners and then the business owners become your patients. And then they start talking about you to their patrons um, because I talk about the other businesses to my patrons too. I'm like, oh, have you had, you know, the Greek souvlaki from Zante across the street? And oh my gosh, I love the, the caramel macchiato that Electra across the street from, from Morning Parade makes. And it becomes part of the conversation. I also live in my neighborhood. Like I don't live far from here. I play tennis at the tennis club down the street. Got a lot of patients that go there. And some people hate that. Like some people want like seven mm-hmm. degrees of separation between them and their, their patients and their communities. But I mean, I have an office space in the condo building right above where a lot of my patients live. So I converted local business owners to patients and then I converted their patrons to my patients very quickly. And I started collecting emails right away. I mean, I put up temporary signage that was quite provocative. It was an, a drawing that a, a former student of mine made of me. I teach at a dental hygiene school and she's a graphic artist, graphic designer before she became a dental hygienist. So she drew this like dental superhero artwork. Um, It's actually like on the wall behind me over there. It's like a blonde superhero uh, with a lab coat open and beneath it is this like Superman-esque bodysuit with an with a tooth on it. So she drew that and I was like, you know, that sat on the corner of my desk for probably three years. And I thought about it, like, what am I going to put on the corner of the street to get new patients? Because as soon as you gain occupancy, your rent starts. Like I had three months of fixturing. I was already two months behind and I had rent to pay and I had my bills, my, my distributors to pay back and equipment. So I did that. I put a provocative piece of art on the corner of the street and started collecting emails and phone numbers, sending out a newsletter. I sent out a weekly newsletter to all of our patients. And the weekly newsletter is like, not really dental related. It's kind of more about me.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I follow this guy named Neville and he sends out a newsletter every Friday called The Stupid Newsletter. Stupid is S-T-U-P-I-D in like with dots between each letter and the S stands for something and the U stands for something. So Mm. I have The Tooth Newsletter and T-O-O-T-H and it's like one of them is like a recipe, like something that I tried a recipe to make and I take a photo of it and it's like an Instagram versus a reality recipe. So it's like I tried to make this like butternut squash looking linguine thing with some shrimp and the Instagram looked beautiful. And then I managed to look like a dog threw up in a butternut squash. But I posted it into my newsletter and then the patients come in and they're like, I really, I really like that butternut squash. I tried it. (laughs) Mine mine looked the same, but it was delicious. So, you know, you really, I really got to know the people that are in my my neighborhood.
0: Yeah. You sent out a weekly newsletter every week. Yeah. There's no, I think that's what I really like about what, you, what you're talking about is because like, was there any thought to it where it's like, oh, I got to send it out on Monday at 10 a.m. for the algorithm or for everybody to open up and then we got to talk yeah. about this and the PS has to, was it any of that or not?
1: Oh uh, Yeah, I mean, I use, I, I am familiar with um, email marketing because of Tooth Life. So we use Klaviyo for our, our email campaigns. Uh, I set most of them up in Canva, and then some parts of it are from Clavio, but they're integrated with Shopify. Um, so yeah, there is some strategy behind it. I know what my open rates are and click rates are, and I, I want to make sure that I'm sending them at the right time. If I send it on Sunday at 3 p.m., I'm not going to get really great click rates for patients. But if I send it Sunday night and they open it Monday morning, then those are a little bit better. I send mine on Thursdays. Like, I don't know, Thursdays is just a good day for me. I think I started with that, but I send it Thursday afternoon and then most of the clicks come from Thursday night or Friday mornings. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also reminds people to book appointments and it's not like aggressive. Yeah. Like we don't do phone calls at our office. Our office is completely paperless. So there's no like Susan from Tooth Life Studio just calling to remind you about your three month maintenance appointment. You're overdue for that billing. Like that doesn't happen in our office ever. We do text and we do email. And I'm only gonna call you if you haven't paid a balance in a long time. But like there's no it's not analog anymore. It's very digital. And I think I like that because it weeds out the patients that we don't want. Yeah. We don't want the ones that are going to be like, I'm gonna come in 15 minutes early to fill out my forms. No, we're gonna send you a link. You're gonna fill it out at home. And by the time you come in, we're putting you right in the chair. There's no waiting. Like we're we're on the ball. Yeah. That's
0: good, man. Throughout this process. Irene, what's been some of the, I guess, from the process of like you opening up till right now uh, for the practice specifically, what's been some of the best companies you've worked with and some of the worst companies?
1: Ironically, the best company, one of the best companies has also been one of the worst companies all at the same time. Every company, when you're new, wants to give you everything. It's like when you sign up for a new phone provider, they're like, you want a new iPhone 13 Pro Max? I'll give it to you at $0. You want a $15 credit on that long distance? I'll give that to you for free for nine months. You want your firstborn child to like go to college, to go to Harvard? I'll get them in. Like they'll do, I'll buy out your contract from Fido so that you can join us at Telus. Like they'll, they'll do anything for you to acquire a new customer. But what are you doing for your customers after you have acquired them? That is the part that is driving me nuts. So one of the best companies that I got to work with was Patterson. Patterson helped me set up my office. They helped me put together plans and talk about equipment. But then a year and a half later, I'm asking my sales rep, hey, can we talk about how to bring my like, monthly ordering of sundries down? I'd like to get into that 8% because right now I'm at like 12% per month. Can we talk about how to do that? And it's like crickets. It's like I'll, I'll sell you something, but I, I don't really have time to tell you how to save money. Mm. So then that leads me to like trying to work with other distributors because it's like, well, I'm, I want to be that shiny new thing to somebody. I want them to give me their kidney if I ask them for it. That is what ends up happening. So some of the best companies at the beginning turn out to be ish at the end. Yeah. Like my vinyl guys, I did some vinyl work on my windows, $8,000 worth of vinyl work. A year and a half later, certain areas are peeling, they're bubbling, they drive me nuts. No one else notices it but me, of course. And it's like, hey, can we get someone to come and fix this? Can we get someone to come and fix this? It's like, no. My LED lights in my office started to flicker. It means the transformer's out. I can replace my own transformer. Just tell me where the hell you put it. Electrician's like nowhere to be found. So it's like, it's the follow-up stuff that drives you crazy. Um, yeah. So everyone's great. But also everyone has their moments of terrible.
0: Oh yeah. of oh, that's super good advice, Irene. Like, what are they yeah. doing for their customers after they acquired them?
1: Knowing, knowing now, like those would be the questions that I would ask when I build my next office. Is okay, great. So you're offering me everything now on a silver platter, but what happens in two years from now when something breaks down? What's the turnaround time of getting it repaired? Like that those will be the tough questions that will make me choose a different distributor contractor, whatever supplier on my next go.
0: Yeah, man. Okay. So one of the last questions I want to ask you is throughout this process, I guess from like the moment you, let's talk about from the moment you started Tooth Life, anything Tooth Life, right? Moment you thought about it till today, what's been some of the biggest uh, struggles or fails or pitfalls?
1: I think the team part is always the hardest part. Managing people is something that we're not taught. Uh, We're definitely not taught in dental hygiene school. And I think in dental school, there's even maybe a fraction, a tenth more information that's shared. But the reality is you don't learn any of the stuff on how to manage people, HR, contract negotiations. Um, So luckily for me, I had a little bit of a law background. So like I can read legal documents and understand what things mean, which has helped me in the social media world because I don't do anything without a contract. I don't work without a contract. Important to set expectations and and deliverables, but um, you know I've learned I've learned that the the people part is the hardest part, and it's hard to be a badass boss without losing humanity with still showing compassion. I listen to a podcast called Radical Candor. I've read their book many times, and I go back to it all the time. But in Radical Candor, it's it's just that is how to be a boss, uh, and a boss is an employer, and be direct and. Set boundaries and expectations, but still be a good person. That's the part that I struggle with most. You know, I read a lot of books, like The First 90 Days is Mm -hmm. a book that I think every business owner should read, and you should read it before you become a business owner. Setting goals and expectations. I didn't do that at the beginning. Uh, Those were hard truths to face when, you know, you end up being a year and a half in and you never really had a target. So it's like you don't know what's good and what's bad and own self doubt. If I leave it with anything, is that regardless of your age or your experience, I've considered myself to be relatively new to business, but not young. You will always doubt yourself. It's just a matter of what you do with that doubt. Do you accept it or do you prove it wrong? And I am one that I prove my own doubt wrong, where I'll wake up in the morning and I had this conversation with my podcast co-host Katrina yesterday on our episode. And you go through these phases of like, You know, you wake up and you know your speaking gig is on Thursday. So Monday you wake up and you're so excited. And Tuesday you start feeling that like nervousness in the pit of your stomach. Now Wednesday you can't sleep on Tuesday night and you wake up in the morning and you're deciding to change all of your slides around because your presentation sucks. No one's going to see you. They're going to hate you. They're going to leave a negative review. And then Thursday comes and you're frantically panicking to finish the spelling errors that you think you have, but you don't. So you're running every slide through Grammarly. And then you get on that stage and it's like nothing happened. Like the words somehow just come. All of the little things that you remembered from that one piece of scientific research you read for five minutes last night somehow is still in your brain. It's magical. It's marvelous. Everyone's happy. You get a five-star review and then you rinse and repeat. The same thing happens in business ownership. Did I hire the wrong person? Did I make the wrong decision? Did I spend the money in the wrong spot? Should I have bought the CERC system before I bought my mill system or my print or whatever it is? You're always going to make the wrong mistake and you're always going to feel like you're not doing it right. But what do you do with that information? Most of the time, we sit with it and we dwell. But what we should be doing is channeling it to prove it right. Look and research and speak to people and see if they're doing the same thing. And if they are, then it means you're on the right track.
0: Yeah. Man, that's really, really good about the uh, all of it, self doubt and everything.
1: Really about <laughs> the all of it.
0: I know, yeah, about the all of it because set goals and expectations. Obviously, when an avatar, you want to have a target. Own self doubt. I mean, that—that's. I mean, I know it speaks to everybody listening, but like, even I mean, I'm just thinking about myself when you were telling me that, and I was like, Jesus, I, I do that all the time. Like, reread, rereview, review, rereview, and you just think like, oh, it's a form of OCD, is it though? It's probably me self doubting myself all the time right yeah so man that's really good really quick i wanted to ask you about the when you mentioned it's important to be a boss without losing humanity mm-hmm. where's the line then like and i feel like that's the hardest thing i think for me and i, mean, I, I want to be like michael scott in the office but then again sometimes i don't you know i want right. to be like well, we're not we're not that you got to respect but sure. then oh i thought we're friends you know what i mean right
1: yeah so uh, practicing something like radical candor, meaning it means that you need to do a variety of things. One is you need to challenge directly. None of this like sandwich bullshit, like say something nice, say something f- with feedback and then say something nice at the end. Like, oh, I love that sweater. By the way, can you do the laundry a little bit different when you do the <laughs> gowns? Like, can you fold them this way? I love your hair today. Like, that's so fucking passive aggressive. And if, if a boss did that to me, I'd see right through it. So you want to challenge directly, but you have to care personally. If you don't care personally about your humans that work in your practice to know things about them, then you can challenge someone directly and they're going to see it as aggressive. So I write handwritten notes and cards and I say thank you. And I don't couple that with any negative feedback. You want to keep your feedbacks separate. Positive feedback for positive feedback and negative feedback for negative feedback. Think about when you have a meeting with someone and you want to discuss like all of the things that they're doing wrong. How long do you prepare for that meeting? It's like, I need to speak to this person on Friday. I'm going to do my, my to-do list. I've got 10 things on my to-do list. I want to talk to them about sterilizing instruments. I want to talk to them about being prepared in the operatory because they leave three times and they never have the setups right. I want to talk to them about their absences or they come in late for morning huddles. I want to talk to them about all these things. How often do you prepare as detailed for positive feedback? Do you put a list together to tell your team members the 10 things that they did right over the last two weeks? I'm going to put a list together and tell my team that, like, I'm very impressed on how efficient they have been at bringing patients in, and not letting them wait in the waiting room. I am super impressed at my x-rays these days. Our full mouth series, I haven't seen one cut off apathy. I am super impressed at how neat and tidy our sterilization area is in the middle of the day. You go to a fancy restaurant, a five star, a Michelin star restaurant, the middle of the day, that restaurant kitchen is clean. You could eat off the floor and it's chaos in there. But to them, it's organized chaos. I put these lists together for positive and negative feedback, and I don't do them at the same time because what you're going to do is you're going to sugarcoat shit, and they're only going to remember the. Shit. They're not going to remember the good stuff. So separate it all. And when you do that, you'd be surprised at how grateful people are and they take your constructive feedback a lot more seriously than if you say something bad and then something nice at the end.
0: Yeah. It's almost as if, like, if you do a sandwich type of comp, you know what I mean? Don't ever do it.
1: Don't ever do it.
0: Yeah. Then that means you're not giving enough positive feedback automatically, right? If you feel like you have to, oh, let's kind of give them some good and then some bad and then good. That's like you never ever have given them enough because they should, if you're giving them enough, it's like, Okay, I can take the negative.
1: Right. But they don't even think of that. They don't even listen to that last positive. Because you said something nice. Like, I I really like your hat. The red looks good. It brings out the whatever charcoal in your eyes, Mike. I really want to mention to you that, like, I'm not a big fan of the orange thing that you have behind you. Like, orange. Oh, God. But also, I really like your green shirt. You're still thinking about the orange, like, you're not even thinking about what I said to you last and you've already forgotten about what I said to you first. Yeah. Because you're true. just focused on, like, is orange a passive-aggressive color? Is it too aggressive? Should I paint all of these orange things blue to make people more happy? Like, what what, what did she say after that? I totally <laughs> forgot. Wait, what? Who is it? Who was yeah. talking
0: again? I don't know. Yeah. She's going to change the orange. No, yeah, that makes sense. Man, I mean, you're giving me... Where can people... Well, first of all, thank you so much for being on this episode. I truly, yeah. truly appreciate it. Where can people find you or if yeah. they want to know more about you?
1: Sure. Yeah, you can follow me, Irene, at toothlife.irene on Instagram. You can follow my practice at Toothlife Studio. Podcast is toothordare.podcast. All of these links are linked in my personal Instagram, Tooth Irene, um, just in my description. You can click on that and find all of the places to reach me. Slide into the DMs.
0: Awesome. So guys, that's all going to be in the show notes below. So go in the show notes below, check it out, reach out to Irene. Irene, thank you so much for being with us. It was a pleasure and we'll hear from you soon.
1: Thank you. Peace out, peeps.
0: Irene, thank you so much for being on this podcast. We truly appreciate it. We truly appreciate you allowing me to be more nosy into your life. Thank you for that. Uh, Guys, if you have any questions or concerns or anything like that, just Go on the show notes below. Reach out to her. You can also probably find her on the Dental Marketer Society Facebook group. It's the Facebook group for this podcast. It's free, guys. And in there, we talk a whole lot more about the podcast episodes that you're listening to, about the guests, and, and so much more. So go do that. And please, don't forget, if you like what you're listening to, do me a humongous favor. And as soon as this episode is done, or right now, if you want, press pause, right? And go drop a review on iTunes. It helps me out a lot and i'll also i'll I'll mention it i'll give you guys a shout out and a thank you in this uh upcoming episodes so thank you so much for doing that thank you so much for leaving a review on itunes and i truly appreciate you just for supporting the podcast just for pressing play and listening i i really really appreciate you and i'll talk to you in the next episode